Welcome to the EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast. And now, here's your host, Brendan Rayner. Alright, welcome everyone. Episode 10 of the EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast. Another busy episode. I'm joined by Leon and Alex. We're going to kick into some college football to start. Obviously a big week. National champion, roll tide. Leon called the last week. We're going to talk some of that. Our soccer, NFL, NBA. Um, so let's kick into the college football, as you mentioned, and let's talk Alabama. National champions, Devontae Smith shines in one half. He puts up record-breaking numbers. Alex, what a dominant performance from him. Uh, what type of prospect do you see him being in the NFL? He's gonna be an amazing prospect. Like he, he's gonna be incredible. I can't rave enough about Devontae Smith. I love him. I love his route running ability, and I love how Steve Sarkeesian uses him in that offense. He's an incredible talent, and he's gonna be a monster in the NFL. Yeah, and I want to go back on last week's takes really quick. Alex, you predicted that Ohio State would win. <laughs> what do you see went wrong for the Buckeyes in that game? Oh, man, I remember I tuned into the game and just right off the bat, I was like, there's no chance that Ohio State can win this game. They looked uncomfortable out there. Uh, Justin Fields was constantly under pressure. They couldn't get anything going on offense. Trey Sermon was out early, which didn't help. But Alabama just from the get go looked like the better team. And and I think like five minutes in, I was like, OK, the, the Alabama's got this game won. It's 14-14 or something like that. But there's no way they can continue to hang with Bama and uh, I, I mean, I, my later take was proven right. My first one was uh, down the drain pretty quickly, though. Yeah, and Leon, everyone heard last week your massive roll tide take. <laughs> Obviously panned out. It was a great take, and Alabama absolutely dominated. Obviously, Jalen Waddell was very restricted. Um, they even lost Devontae Smith in the second half. As we mentioned, it didn't seem to matter. Quite honestly, I think if those two guys never played, they still would have won the game. Leon, anything to say to Alex, myself, Nolan, our viewers, on your take from last week? <laughs> Nothing to say. It was quite obvious. It was, it was Alabama. It was Alabama every single day. Nick Saban is the GOAT of college football. Un- unquestionable. I don't, I don't right. know why I'm questioning Nick Saban. I, am, I think I've learned my lesson. I'm never True. doubting Nick Saban again. We should no longer pick against him. Let's talk real quick about his quarterback. A guy who's been obviously rising up the draft boards. I said I see him as a top 10 quarterback. I've fallen in love with him. Um, Alex, five touchdowns. How good do you think he can be in the NFL? Yeah, so Matt Jones is an interesting prospect. Uh, we He had so many great pieces around him this year. And, and Steve Sarkeesian uh, won the award for being the best assistant in college football. It's his offensive coordinator. So a lot of people kind of have written Mac Jones off. I am in definitely not in that boat i'm with you brendan i'm in love with mac jones this kid is incredible he's an incredible talent and he doesn't get the respect he deserves five touchdowns and he played the whole second half without Devonte smith and jalen waddle his two best receivers and he did incredible in that second half i got a lot of faith in mac jones i think if he ends up in the right spot in the nfl he'd be a really effective player another another attribute i quickly want to point out he is a guy who graduated from alabama in two and a half years with a 4-0 GPA, something massively impressive, just shows that he's a smart guy. Um, obviously, we've seen he's a great leader. They were saying on the broadcast yesterday that his leadership has improved. He's learned how to deal with his anger. He comes out with that fumble. He gets injured. It seems like whatever's thrown his way, Ohio State, he absolutely dominated that Ohio State defense, and he overcame every single problem that it was thrown his way. So I think he really deserves the respect for last night. As you said, I know people don't like to give him respect because of Najee Harris, 
Steve Sarkeesian, Jalen Waddell, um, Demonte Smith, just, you know, Nick Saban, obviously he's not in Alabama. He has all those weapons. It's easy to discredit him, but Leon, do you think that um, Mac Jones should be taken in the top 10 for this year's draft? No, Mac Jones should be taken in the eighth round. If you put me at QB with all that talent right there, I could, I could thrive. If you put me with Nick Saban, I could thrive in that, in that uh, <laughs> offense. What I saw yesterday was Mac Jones having a lot of uh, talent around him. He can just easily fr- throw these passes. Like it's just like the the, the players was wide open. It, was, it wasn't even like car throws. I believe Mac Jones is a system quarterback that at best can come in and uh, play for a few years and go to the booth like Dan Orlovsky. <laughs> I do not like the take. Right there. I do not like to take, but we let's move on here. Let's talk about Ohio State real quick. Um, quite a pathetic performance from them. Obviously, we've saw we saw how how much Devontae Smith did to them. I mean, it's pretty pathetic to have a linebacker, arguably the slowest player on the field at the moment, besides the O line and D line. You let that happen. Covering Devontae Smith, thank you. And then we see him motioning across the backfield, Sean Wade jogging, not even sprinting. I think if there's anyone who hurt their draft stock last night, Sean Wade would be number one on that list um, because he especially, was especially especially with all the talking he did pre-game. I mean. Yeah, a reporter, who do you want to cover in the Alabama game? A reporter asked Sean Wade, and he said, you already know who I want to cover, implying Devontae Smith. And he torched him. I mean, he set records at halftime, Devontae Smith did. And so, like, you know, Sean Wade, like, are you going to talk like that? And then you have such a poor performance with so little effort. That kills your draft stock, like you said. Yeah. Speaking of draft stock, let's talk Justin Fields a little bit. I was pretty disappointed after kind of coming on here, praising him last week for, you know, outperforming. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, quite honestly. Alex, do you think he hurt his draft stock last night? Do you think Zach Wilson leaped him, or do you think he's still there at the second, third, fourth pick? You see, this is such a difficult draft for QBs because we just really haven't seen a ton of action from these guys. Uh, you know, Justin Fields has looked super inconsistent all season. The tape against Northwestern is hard to, to overlook. Zach Wilson hasn't played anybody. Trey Lance hasn't played in a year. And when he was at North Dakota State, he hasn't played anyone. Uh, Trevor Lawrence looked porous in the big game this year. It's just, it's hard to evaluate these QBs. I really don't know where to to stand on these guys. Um, Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess if I, if I had to to rank him, I'm putting fields at two just because he has an incredible talent. I like his mobility. He's a great thrower of the ball. His ball placement is, is top notch. Um, but it's it's really hard to rate these guys. So I guess we'll just have to kind of see come draft time where they go. Yeah, Leon, I want to get you in on this because I know you're the king of overreactions. Um, Justin Fields had a great performance, then a terrible performance. Uh, what do you think we should kind of think of this? What are you talking about? King of overreactions? You were literally about to say Justin Fields better than Trevor Lawrence last week after you saw that semifinal performance. What are you talking about? I say Justin Fields is going to be the second quarterback taken. I don't see him better than Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson just came on and scene last year. <laughs> Justin Fields has been doing it for two years now. I still believe in Justin Fields being the second quarterback taken. I'm with Leon here, and I think that's right, Brandon. I mean, you're like, you were about ready to crown Justin Fields after that performance against Clemson. Like, I'm not quite too ready to go there yet. I'm with Leon on this one. Let's move on now to looking forward to next year. ESPN came out with their way too early top 25. So we're going to do a little higher, lower. Who do we think needs to be higher? Who we think needs to be lower going into next season? Uh, I'll start it off. Clemson Tigers, number one. Brendan, higher or lower? 
I think they need to be lower in just one spot lower. In my opinion, they need to be the two seed in the Alabama Crimson Tide. Your national champions need to be the number one seed in all of these way too early um, rankings for the foreseeable future. If Alabama is not number one, then you're betting against Nick Saban, which is a terrible idea. He won what his seventh national championship last night in a dominant performance o- over Ohio state, who was clearly the second best team in the country after blowing out Clemson and Alabama looked like an NFL team against a high school team on that field. So I think not to put Alabama number one with that O line, which has obviously they're losing pieces to the NFL as they do every year, but every single year they reset and become one of, if not the best offensive line in college football, as well as they have Bryce Young at quarterback. I know Leon's going to talk about him later. I know he's in love with him. Um, if Bryce Young can be a decent quarterback, we saw Mac Jones. Leon thinks he's a game manager. Heck, he might be. We don't know. But the problem is Alabama is so loaded that it shouldn't really matter. And so I think with John Mechie coming back next year, I think Alabama should be the number one seed for the way too early rankings for the foreseeable future. I agree with you there, Brendan. I think um, Alabama should definitely be a two seed. However, I'm going to put Texas A&M at the – or Alabama, sorry, at the one seed. And I'm going to put Texas A&M uh, – they're currently the six seed. They should be a top four team in my opinion. Look at the top four teams right now. It's Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Georgia. I think you can drop Oklahoma out of those rankings. I think they're going to have a ton of trouble in the Big 12 next year. And here's why. Texas gets Steve Sarkeesian – the ex- extremely talented offensive coordinator uh, from Alabama. I think he turns that offensive around and allows Texas to compete for the big 12 championship. That's two games, potentially two games in which Oklahoma will could, and, and will probably lose at least one of them. Uh, on top of that, Oklahoma state returns a lot of guys from, from last year. I mean, they lose a few, I think Tylen Wallace and Shuba Hubbard go to the draft. Other than that, they return a ton of guys. Oklahoma state is always a tough matchup for Oklahoma. I think that is a potential sleeper game in which they could lose to them. Um, I think, I, I think, you know, we saw the slow start that Oklahoma got off to this year. And I think that kind of rolls over into next year. I'm not very high in Oklahoma. I don't know why they're number three. Uh, give me A&M at three. Jimbo Fisher's team continues to improve year over year. I love Jimbo Fisher. I love the way he coaches his teams. I think that team has an, a ton of incredible talent. They get the number seven recruiting class this year. Give me Texas A&M, number three team in the country. Leon, who do you, uh, who do you think deserves a different ranking in the way too early top 25 from ESPN? Uh, I say uh, Iowa State. Iowa State, everyone, everyone on Iowa State's offensive line is returning. They got Brees Hall as their running back. I believe in, in the future they could be a top four team next year in the playoffs. That's a bold take. Honestly, Leon, I think if they perform really well in the Big 12 like they could, I mean, if they go out and beat Oklahoma, if they go out and beat Texas like they did this year and win the Big 12, give me Iowa State as the four team. They return Brees Hall, best running back in the nation, going into next year. They return all of their offensive linemen. They return uh, their tight end, Kohler. One of the, he had, was in contention for the best tight end in college football award. I like that take, Leon. I think Iowa State is a sleeper playoff team for next year. All right, let's move on now to our next segment. We got the top non-conference games for next season. We got three games here. Georgia versus Clemson, Ohio State versus Oregon, and Auburn versus Penn State. Brendan, I got a question for you. What game are you looking forward to the most, and what matchup in that game do you think will be the most intriguing? 
Yeah, I'm going to go with your first choice there. Georgia versus Clemson. I think Clemson's the second best team in the country heading into next season. Um, I think the matchup you have to watch out for is uh, DJ Ugalele, whatever his name is. I obviously don't know how to pronounce <laughs> Clemson quarterback filling in for Trevor Lawrence. Um, we're going to talk about him in a little bit also. Um, but I think the matchup to watch him versus that Georgia defense. We know that the Georgia defense is typically strong. Obviously, Georgia has JT Daniels at quarterback. Um, but I'm curious to see what DJ will be able to do against that strong Georgia defense. And therefore, I think that is the biggest non-conference game heading into next season. I like that take. I'm looking forward to that one the most, too. Uh, however, I think the matchup I like the most in that game is JT Daniels versus DJ Uyagalale however you say that guy's last name. I think the quarterback battle will be extremely intriguing to watch. Uh, Daniel's incredible performance last season when he finally stepped in and took that Georgia job, took Kirby Smart long enough to give it to him, but he got it, and he was really, really good. I think he improves even better with a full camp, if we're assuming a full camp going into the next season. Daniel's, I think, could be one of the best QBs in the nation, and uh, obviously DJ. We saw the talent he had against uh, Notre Dame when they played them this year. So I think I'm looking forward to most – QB battle in that game, uh, but definitely DJ versus the defense. That's definitely a good one to watch as well. Uh, let's move on now to the top teams to watch in 2020 and a padlock player. Uh, Brendan, your pick, your team that you're most intrigued to watch in 2020. Yeah, I've got two of them for you. First off, it's Alabama, and I think the player to watch has to be Bryce Young, right? He's filling in for Jalen Hurts, for Tua Tungavailoa, and now from Mac Jones. Three quarterbacks who were taken in the first and second round, assuming obviously Mac Jones becomes a first-round pick. Obviously, two was the fifth overall, and um, uh, Jalen Hurts went in the second round. So I do think that Bryce Young will continue this tradition. I think he'll go in the first or second round when he comes out. But first, obviously, he has a huge stage to perform on. And I think the second guy you have to watch for Alabama, John Mechie, the stud receiver, obviously we saw what he did last night. And um, I think he just really comes on next year as the number one receiver. My second team to watch out for, Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler, you talked about him. They had a bad year this year. It was a slow start. They weren't one of the best teams in the country. I think, obviously, people talking about Lincoln Riley potentially to the Eagles now that Doug Peterson's out in Philadelphia. Um, that'll be in the NFL segment. But um, if Lincoln Riley leaves, I see Oklahoma having a bad year. But I think if, if Lincoln Riley stays at Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler is going to have a fantastic year under that quarterback guru and Oklahoma, a team to be reckoned with in college football. I like that. Oklahoma, definitely someone to watch out for. I think Alabama, you bring up a great point. Looking forward to see how Bryce Young performs in that offense. Missing Steve Sarkeesian, it'll be interesting to see uh, potential next head coach, um, what's his name, Bill O'Brien from the Texans, what he might do at Alabama if he gets the job. Leon, your pick for next year, your team to watch in 2021. Uh, I'm thinking Clemson and that quarterback named DJ Ugly. I don't know what his name is called. Uh, they're, they're still in the ACC, so that means Clemson's going to win the ACC title. And I'm 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 I'm, uh, I'm intrigued to see uh, how Dabo Sweeney uh, uh, takes this team to the national championship uh, national championship with all these uh, losses this year. Early pick for the national title, Clemson. Is that what you're going with? Yeah, I'm thinking Alabama-Clemson, the national championship. Well, that's certainly a hot take right there. No one will see that one coming. Uh, for me, give me Texas and give me Casey Thompson slash Steve Sarkeesian. Obviously, Texas just hired new head coach Steve Sarkeesian. 
offensive guru, and he's a quarterback whisperer, kind of like Lincoln Riley. He's recruited well with the quarterbacks. He was the primary recruiter for Bryce Young at Alabama when he was the OC there. And he comes to a Texas team that, according to 24-7 Sports, has the top five most talented team in the country. I think we saw what Casey Thompson did in the Alamo Bowl this year. I'm looking forward to seeing how Casey Thompson performs under offensive guru Steve Sarkeesian. I want to see if Steve can, can get this team to the next level and allow them to compete for a playoff spot, which I think they can do if all goes well in Austin. Uh, that's my team to watch out for in 2020, the Texas Longhorns. All right, let's move on now to Know the Name, a breakout player prediction for next year. Brendan, who you got? Yeah, once again, I'm going to give you two people. I'm going to give you two names here. Derek Stingley, the cornerback out of LSU. Um, I think he had a little bit of a down year. Last year, I, I believe he was the best cornerback in all of college football. I know people will say it was Jeff Okuda. I know people will say it was Sean Wade. I disagree. I think it was Derek Stingley. I think he's going to be the best cornerback in the nation. I think he'll be a top five pick into next year's draft. And my second name to watch, Sam Howell, the quarterback out of North Carolina. He is projected to go number one overall in the draft next year. Um, obviously, that's a huge, huge projection for a guy out of North Carolina. Um, so we'll see what he does. I didn't think he had a great year. Um, but if he can have a fantastic year next year and earn that number one overall pick, um, I would be very impressed. So he's definitely a guy to watch out for at a smaller school. All right, Leon, I'm going to throw this one to you. Who do you got? Uh, I got Bryce Young and Alabama. I believe Bryce Young is the next coming of uh, Kyler Murray in the college football world. He's small. He can he can pass. And I believe this is the first time you're going to see uh, uh, Nick Saban had that type of quarterback. So I'm, I'm going to be intrigued to see how he plays. Yeah, Bryce Young, definitely a mobile guy, can move around. He was the uh, top-rated dual quarterback according to 24-7 Sports, when he came out of high school uh, out in California. Now, I got two guys, same as Brendan here. Number one, Eric Gilbert. This was the number five player in the country, number one tight end, who committed to LSU, who is currently transferring from LSU, and the top two options for him are Georgia and Florida. Obviously, we saw what Dan Mullen did with Kai uh, Pitts last year at Florida. So I think it'll be really interesting to see, if he gets Eric Gilbert, how he handles Eric Gilbert and the obvious extreme athleticism and talent that Gilbert possesses. Number two, Bijan Robinson. This is a running back from the University of Texas, and he set the he led all of college football last year uh, in most 20-plus yard runs. This guy is explosive. He's fast. He's quick. He's agile. He's got all the traits that you look for in a great running back. I think currently in top 15 odds for Heisman next year. I think he could definitely push for that award uh, if all goes well this season. He's got incredible talent. I'm really interested to see how Bijan Robinson does in that Steve Sarkeesian offense. Let me jump in here, Alex, real quickly. I gave you two. I want to give you a third. Everyone knows I'm obsessed with my offensive line play. Everyone knows I love the value of tackles in the NFL. I'm going to give you a tackle to watch out for next season. Logan Brown, remember the name, the offensive tackle out of Wisconsin. I see him being a top three pick in next year's draft. Um, he could be falling to a team like the Jets, potentially the Jaguars. One of the worst teams in the league will be lucky enough if Logan Brown has a nice year this year to land him early in the draft because I think he could be a generational tackle out of Wisconsin. All right, an old lineman out of Wisconsin. I like that. Let's move on now to, just before we finish up this segment, uh, segment, our playoff predictions for next year. Your guys' pick for a championship contender and a championship matchup. 
way too early, but what do you guys got? I'll, I'll start here. I'm going to Alabama Clemson, right? How could you bet against those two teams? I think Ohio state has a drop off at the quarterback position that doesn't allow them to get back. I'm not confident in Spencer Rattler yet. I obviously I'm curious to see what he can do. And so I think you go with the top two teams, you go with DJ Ugalele and you go with um, Bryce Young out of Alabama. I think you can't bet against Nick Saban. And at this point, Dabo Sweeney looks to be the second best coach in all of college football. So I'm going with those two guys. You don't bet against them. You don't bet against the programs of Clemson and you don't bet against the program of Alabama. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking the GOAT and I'm thinking Dabo Sweeney. Quick response there from Leah. Uh, not much to say after following the same take from Brennan. I'm going to change it up a little bit. Give me Alabama and Oklahoma. I think Spencer Rattler has a great year under Lincoln Riley. I think shock the world. I think they beat uh, probably as a three save, they beat number two Clemson in a semifinal. Shake it up a little bit. Dabo Sweeney chokes in back-to-back years. Uh, and, and I think they give uh, Bama a, a tough run for their money in the national title game. Obviously, way too early to definitively say anything, but Oklahoma, definitely a team to, to watch next year. I think they'll, they started off number three. I think they could easily get up to number two uh, in next year's rankings. Uh, and, and real quick, just before we go, do we even have anything more to say? I don't think so. I think we're done. Oh, no, we're just going to go. Just... I, I want to jump in real quick, Alex. There's some breaking news out of the NFL world. Uh, Brian Schottenheimer, your Seahawks offensive coordinator, has been fired. And Chuck Bogano, the Bears defensive coordinator, has retired. So I'm curious, Alex, we'll, we'll mainly focus on Schottenheimer in Seattle. I know you were critical of your Seahawks this year. And obviously, I know this is our college football segment, NBA. <laughs> We uh, tomorrow's the NFL, so I want to quickly get a reaction. Is that a good choice by the Seahawks to let him go? Ooh, put me on the spot here. Yes, I'm gonna say yes. Um, I think you have to fire anyone after the horrendous performance that they had against the Rams. Um, personnel, personnel is another thing to consider here. You have yeah. Russell Wilson, who's been MVP for this year, last year, he's been an MVP. Um, not not the MVP, but at least in the MVP race, you have DK Metcalf, a top five, top seven, top ten receiver in the league, Tyler Lockett. I mean, they've got some weapons down there in Seattle. They underperformed, so I'm going to go with you. I think it was time that they moved on from him. Um, and let's let's jump to our NBA segment. I don't want to put you on the spot. Obviously, I know it's tough to tell, tell, you know, tell me that he should have been fired, and I put you on the spot. Let's go to our NBA real quick. Let's talk Rookie of the Year, Leon you're a big LaMelo guy. Do you still see him as the rookie of the year? Yes, I do. He, he was the youngest player to get a triple-double. Uh, he beat out the GOAT LeBron James and uh, the other players. But he's the youngest player, and he's average, He's he's like averaging like eight rebounds a game. He's nearly averaging a triple-double, and I believe, I think he's leading the uh, league in uh, points as a rookie. So, yeah, I believe the LaMelo Ball will be the rookie of the year. Uh, I agree with Leon. Way too early to say anything about Rookie of the Year, um, but LaMelo Ball seems to be kind of the clear-cut number one guy. Anthony Edwards has looked all right. Peyton, Peyton Pritchard, probably the steal of the draft from the Celtics, maybe could give uh, LaMelo a run for his money if he you know, continues to perform at the level he has so far. I'd say that's unlikely, um, but it certainly is a possibility. Again, way too early to say anything about Rookie of the Year. Uh, Brennan, I got a question for you, though. Moving into the NBA has had a ton of trouble recently with COVID cases. Um, obviously, you got the whole thing with the Nets, which we're going to get to in a little bit. 
but is there any possibility that the NBA shuts down the season for a period of time to get things under control? Yeah, look, this is something we hate to talk about as a sports podcast. Obviously, there's a global pandemic going on. It's bigger than sports. It's bigger than the NBA. Um, and at this point, I do think that the pandemic will shut down the NBA. I, I hate to say it. I love NBA. I love the game of basketball. Um, but I, I really don't think that what they're doing with no bubble, all these teams traveling city to city so often every night. The thing with the NFL, here's why the NFL worked, right? You have a team, you have whatever, the Steelers. The Steelers have a positive case. They have a week to recover. In the NBA, the Celtics have a positive case, and they have, what, five, six, seven, eight players in quarantine. The Celtics just had three games postponed because of this. So the problem with the NBA is you have games every other night. So you're having close contacts from team to team. You're having so many close contacts within the team because you're traveling Every other day, every couple of days, you're traveling. So these guys are around each other too much. They're traveling too much. They're going city to city. There's going to be too much spread. I don't think the NBA's current plan works. I think maybe they think of, you know, a few hotspot cities. You pick New York, LA, you know, a couple other cities. And maybe you do these hotspots where you play multiple games in cities. Um, and then you stay in those you stay in the city, you play 10 games. Then you move to the next grouping and you play 10 more games. I just don't think that this current format's going to work out for the NBA. I pray that it does. I hope that it does. I love basketball. I know we all love basketball. And, uh, yeah, I do think that they're going to shut down. I'm very worried for it. And it's, it's certainly unfortunate as a sportsman. You don't ever want to see that happen to a league. But definitely the way the NBA has handled it so far, uh, it hasn't been as effective as the NFL. And I think you're right. You bring up that point about the NFL having a longer period of time to recover from these type of things. The NBA doesn't have that kind of flexibility. Uh we mentioned that met, uh, the net situation earlier with Kyrie Irving. Mind giving us a rundown of that on the podcast? Yeah, so a tough situation in Brooklyn. It sounds like Kyrie Irving, obviously we know he has missed multiple games now due to personal reasons. That's what the team is saying. Um, obviously many wondering what's going on there. He has not come out and said anything yet. And then I believe, what, two, three days ago, video surfaces of him maskless at parties with his family obviously against NBA protocols. It sounds like he has either been suspended by the team or by the league because Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN's you know, main guy, obviously he said that the Nets do not expect Kyrie back for, you know, the foreseeable future, maybe 10 days or something. Um, so that is a scary situation in Brooklyn. Leon, I'm just curious if you think that's going to implode because surely for me, knowing Kyrie's history, um, and knowing that there's a global pandemic going on, it takes incredible maturity. I don't think Kyrie Irving's a mature man. And I'm, I'm curious to see if you think him, how he's handling this situation, whatever's going on down in Brooklyn, which we seem to not know really much about, if you think that will implode. Yeah, I think I, I connect this situation to like the Clippers situation last year, like Kawhi and Paul George was was being like late to the team playing, missing practices, missing games to rest. I believe this is Kyrie. Uh, and like the Clippers, like connection. Um, but I believe this this is gonna help LeBron win his uh, uh sixth championship. So I'm happy that this is this is happening. I want to jump in really quickly. Um, there was some breaking news in the NBA. I believe the Jazz versus uh, uh, who was it? Jazz Wizards game tonight has been postponed. That's just another postponement cancellation. The Celtics at three now. I believe the NBA has had what five, six, seven games canceled at this point. We're only eight, 10 games in the season. It's just, I don't think that this will work out. It's further proving my point. I just wanted to bring it up because we obviously just talked about it. 
Um, and, and just seeing all these games being canceled, it's something you really have to worry about. And Adrian Wojnarowski is answering questions on ESPN about why the NBA isn't pausing currently. So that's just some insight onto the current situation in the NBA. Definitely a scary situation. But let's let's talk about the NBA and let's just hope it you know they can survive this outbreak. Let's go to MVP Leon. Who's your MVP pick so far? Ten games through the season. Number one team in the West, the Lakers. I believe LeBron James, he's playing 60% and he's still averaging like 25 points, uh, 10 rebounds and like nine assists. He's not even trying. and He's bullying these kids on the court. It's LeBron. Yeah, I'd say uh, give me a sleeper pick. I think Bradley Beal has looked really, really good this year, averaging a ton of points. Um Looked really impressive for a Wizards team. Obviously, that's struggling. I think if the Wizards make the playoffs, though, which, you know, kind of unlikely given the Wizards situation right now, maybe they turn things around. Maybe this Wizards is like a six or seven seed. I think Bradley Beal, if he continues to play, at, you know, maybe even like 90%, 85% of what he's playing at right now, he could definitely push for that MVP award. Yeah, I need... I need to get in on this because I think there is one player who is the clear-cut MVP of the league so far through eight, nine, ten games, whatever we're at so far, um, and that is Nikola Jokic. I know this podcast doesn't get national attention. I know it gets 40, 50, 60 views a week, but I wish everyone in the world would pay attention to what Nikola Jokic is doing down in Denver. He has been the clear-cut MVP I haven't heard anything about it on ESPN. I haven't heard anything about it on NBA Twitter. You don't hear it. I, nobody ever talks about him, and it's clearly disappointing. I know he's big. I know he's a center. I know centers don't win MVP. I'm done hearing of all of it. Nikola Jokic has been the best player in basketball this season, and it's not. Wait, wait, wait. How is he a clear-cut MVP when his team is like the 10th seat in the West? They're 5-5, five and five, the 10th seat in the West. He clearly is not doing that good if the team is at the 10th seat in the West. Well, I mean, just to play devil's advocate for a second here, it's early in the season, in a season where we've had COVID case after COVID case and issue after issue. I mean, maybe the Nuggets turn it around. Maybe they, I mean, five and five is not a horrible place to be as an NBA team. Like that's 500 right there. You know, this is, this is a Denver team that has a ton of talent. They could easily turn their season around. Uh, it, it, it's like, we're 10 games in. Like we got another 72 games to play. Or, all right, and it's less than that. It's short in season. But we have tons of more games to play. This Nuggets team, I'm not writing them off the playoffs right now. I think Leon is stupid for doing so. Uh, Brendan, I totally disagree with that Jokic take. Wait, wait, wait. I, ha I have to cut you off. I have got to cut you off. I have got to cut you off. It's the, you can't write the Nuggets out of the playoffs. That is a terrible take. You can write the Nuggets into the playoffs. They are a top four team in the West, without a doubt, arguably top three, arguably top two, and arguably the best team in the West. I don't care if they're five and five. This season's going to be so unpredictable with COVID. We've already talked about it. They could be shutting down. You see, you see teams going in with eight players. The Celtics have Taco Fall as their backup center. Taco Fall coming up from the G League. Let's look at Nicole Jokic's stats. Oh, 24.5 points per game, 11.2 rebounds per game, 10.4 assists per game. He's second in the league in assists. He's seven foot tall, 285 pounds. I can't, like, what do you not understand? He's putting up a triple double as a center. He is the best player in the NBA currently. No chance. Like, I can only play devil's advocate for so long. Like, 
if they continue at the play, at the pace they're at right now, they're five and five. And I know I just said they could easily turn that around. But let's assume that they continue to stay at this porous rate and they're like a seventh or eighth team in the playoffs, right? It's hard to give an MVP award to a center in the first place. Not so, like, besides the fact they like, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be. Right? He's seven foot tall, putting up a triple double. How's it hard? He's been the best player in the He's National Basketball Association all year. A center. It never goes to a center anymore. The MVP is a wing and guard award. If you're posting up on the inside doing whatever the hell Jokic is doing, you're not getting that award. Whatever like, the hell he's doing is putting up a triple-double. Second in the league in assists as a seven-footer. I don't want to hear it. He's the best center and he's the best player in the NBA. He's so far this season. Winning. I know There's it can change. I know it can change. If you're going to award the MVP award to a center, then they need to have a really good team record. Put some respect on his name. He's been the best player in basketball. There's no chance he's the best player in basketball. That is huge disrespect to Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and every yeah, other I'm not. I'm not going to entertain this. This dude should be banned from talking to the NBA, like talking about the NBA. Like We should just move on. Like I don't know why we're even entertaining this uh, clownness right here. Well, clearly I can't get you two to agree on the MVP takes. That'll wrap up our NBA segment. Let's move on now. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk next week. Always fun, boys. See you later. Moving now into our NFL segment uh, for episode 10 of the Sports.com podcast. Let's start, jump right in with the wildcard losers. The Colts fell to the Bills. Uh, this was a, a team that was a really close game. One of my favorite games to watch this weekend. What do we expect? What do we expect? Sorry, from the Colts going forward, given their QB situation, Philip Rivers is getting a little bit older, and what are this team's biggest team needs going into the offseason? I mean, the Colts had the pieces that they need to uh, get to an AFC championship, to get to a Super Bowl. I mean, they've got one of the best defenses in the league with Darius Leonard leading the way there. They've got uh, some a solid young uh, core on offense with people like Jonathan Taylor, um, Pittman at wide receiver. Uh, and as these guys develop, I mean, they're going to be an AFC championship team. They're going to be a Super Bowl team. Obviously, Phillip Rivers is the big question mark there. He's getting older. You don't know if he's going to retire this year or not. Um, where they go with a QB at this point uh, is a little bit questionable. But if they can figure that out, again, they'll be uh, contenders for years to come. I agree with Nolan. I really think the only piece they need is a quarterback. And I think instead of getting a young guy from a draft or something, I think they should pick one, pick one of the many – a little bit older, more experienced veterans off free agency this year. Or take any of them because they could show that with Matt Stafford, they could be Super Bowl contenders. You give them Matt Ryan. You give maybe, I don't know about Carson Wentz, but so quarterbacks like those, a little bit older, more experienced quarterbacks who really shown they can succeed, I think can take the Colts pretty far. Yeah, look, I'm with Parker on this one. That team is win now. I think they're one of the best three, four, or five teams in the league for the next couple of years, really, because they're, they have one of the best cap situations for all the elite teams in the NFL. And as you mentioned, they have such a good young core with Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner. I mean, they have so many guys that are cornerstones offensively and defensively. I think they need a quarterback and they need some weapons, right? So I think, as you mentioned, right, they, they have to target a quarterback through the trade block or free agency. They can't wait to develop a quarterback like Kyle Trask out of the draft. So I think, I think, as you mentioned, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, if they get those guys, they have to be Super Bowl contenders immediately. And then as for receivers, maybe Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, Corey Davis. 
there's a couple names to watch out for on the free agent block. And then in the draft, you can get a receiver as well. Um, seems to be a pretty good receiving class. I have to disagree with all of you. I don't think this team is built or equipped to win now. They have a lot of young guys. I mean, you mentioned Pittman. You mentioned Taylor uh, on offense. They have a lot of young guys on the offensive line as well. Quentin Nelson, one of the best young guards in the league. They got young guys on defense as well. Rocky Seen has been an incredible corner, kind of a surprise guy uh, for them this season. Uh, Xavier Rhodes was solid as well. Julian Blackman at safety. Darius Leonard, obviously there uh, as well. DeForest Buckner is still relatively young. So this is a team that has built them built themselves through the draft, and I think that's what they have to continue to, to do going forward. Don't overpay guys in free agency. Don't go for the big names in free agency. Continue to build through the draft. Uh, and, and, and continue to, to progress and let your guys develop. Let's move on now to a team uh, in the Pittsburgh TikTokers who lost unexpectedly, surprisingly, in shocking fashion to the Cleveland Browns. Big Ben looked horrible in this game. Uh, how long until the Steelers are back on top? It looks like Big Ben's done. Uh, he's out of his prime for sure. How long until they can really get back to being uh, a Super Bowl contending team with a competent quarterback? Well, I think the main problem for the Colts here is what do you do? You go 11-0, and then you lose five of your next six. What do, you, do you fire your coordinators? Do you fire Tomlin? Do you get rid of Ben and Juju and all those guys? What do you do? Because I feel like through year after year, we've seen with Le'Veon Bell, we've seen with Antonio Brown, now Juju Smith-Schuster and this whole thing that Mike Tomlin does not have the leadership. He doesn't have the authority that he needs. Sure, he's a great play caller, but – he has no authority over these players to keep them in check, to keep them off the social media doing stupid things that aren't helping their team. And I think this team's best chance of success is just to get rid of Mike Tomlin and find someone else. I, I don't believe that statement one one owl. I believe they got to get rid of Big Ben. He is so old. He is old. He's just fat and big. and He can't throw. He threw like five picks that, that game. He's, he's absolutely trash. He's, yeah, look, you guys, you, guys, you guys mentioned Big Ben, the absolute weakness of the Steelers. He's the reason they, they weren't having a good run at the end. Another reason they lost Bud Dupree, right? We, we saw how much he helped TJ Watt on the other side. And here's the problem. He's entering free agency. Juju Smith-Schuster entering free agency. James Conner entering free agency. They have so many guys. Mike Hilton, their nickel corner. They have so many guys entering free agency. They have many guys who are aging. I really think that this team is one that they were in a win now mode. They couldn't do it. And I think that they enter a rebuild at this point. I know they have TJ Watt and a couple other cornerstone pieces, but I don't think they're a team that's going to win for the next couple of years here. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. I think this is a team that was kind of hitting the end of their ability to win now. Uh, and this was really their year to get it done. And, and now they got everybody leaving. Uh, it's time for for them to just kind of blow it up and rebuild. Let's move on now to the Bears. I know they're wild card loser. They were just completely outmatched in this game. How do you handle the QB situation as the Bears GM for this offseason? I mean, I think Trubisky has looked fantastic towards the end of the season here. I think the Bears would be stupid to let Trubisky walk. Uh, I think as he continues to develop, he can become maybe a top 15, even top 10 quarterback in the league as he progresses, right, as you give him weapons on the wide receiver end, he has looked fantastic towards the end of the year. I think that the Bears are dumb to let him walk. MVP. Can I just say the Nickelodeon part was the best part of that game? <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. I but I think, I think the Bears are – the Bears have needed one of their quarterbacks to come out and look better than the other. And I think Mitchell Trubisky has finally come out and made it obvious. He's 
looked a lot better. He's looked good, honestly. And I think that hopefully they'll make the right decision. That was the dumbest take. Mitchell Trubisky for MVP. I don't know if you watched the Nickelodeon game, but you should have watched. They should have taught you football because that was the dumbest take ever. You should have watched and learned football because they should have taught you that. That was the dumbest take. Mitchell Trubisky for MVP. Oh, my God. What do you mean? With Leon, terrible take. Mitchell Trubisky should walk in free agency. The Bears should not retain him. I know he showed glimpses. I know he was drafted early. At this point, you have to accept that it was a terrible draft pick. You missed out on Mahomes. You missed out on Watson. Move on. Draft a new quarterback. Restart. Obviously, we saw today that uh, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, the GM, are coming back. But the Bears need to to blow it up, to rebuild. They're losing Allen Robinson, who's their best player besides Khalil Mack. If, if Trubisky can't win with that defense and Allen Robinson at receiver, David Montgomery came on. If he can't win with that, he can't ever win. Bears need to move on. Listen, I agree Trubisky was an awful draft pick. Obviously, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes are the better quarterbacks there. But I still think that there's hope for Trubisky and the Bears. He's making the throws that he needs to make. It's his receivers that are not catching the ball. I, mean, I don't know if you guys saw that dime in the game against the Saints that went right through. Uh, I don't remember who it was, but it went right through a receiver's hands in the end zone. That was a dime, a perfect throw. His receivers are not making the catches that they need to make. Um, Allen Robinson, again, the only good receiver on that team, really, except for maybe um, uh, the rookie Moody. Right? Oh, no. Yeah, um, Darnell Moody. But Darnell Moody, yeah. Um, I think Trubisky is the quarterback of the future in that um, on that team. I think Trubisky can uh, be a good quarterback going forward. Uh, let's move on now to a team that also has a, an interesting QB situation moving forward. The Washington football team. I mean, it's been a QB carousel the whole year for them. I mean, they've had – Alex Smith start. Dwayne Haskins was starting for a little bit. They got Taylor Heineke now. Just a consistent bouncing around at this position. It, did, did they find the guy in Heineke? Man, tentatively say that he's played like I don't know three. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not letting you finish the question. Taylor Heineke is not a franchise quarterback off of one game where he ran for more yards than he threw. Probably he was running. I get it. He looked good. He was running, but we don't know that he's a great passing quarterback. He got bailed out by his defense, and they still didn't win. They lost to the Bucs. The Bucs didn't play well. They still lost to him. Taylor Heineke is not a franchise quarterback. I know he played well. I'm over the obsession with Taylor Heineke. I'm curious what you think about this. I, I really don't know what the Washington do. I mean, if they'd want to draft a quarterback, I feel like they're a little too late in the draft to get one of the real elite ones. And going forward, I mean, I don't know if you want to get one in free agency because of how young some of your team is and you don't want to get an older quarterback and then have to make that change again, half midway through their careers. So I don't see it past them to stick with Heineke and Smith for a year and see where they go from there. Yeah. I, mean, I think, go, go ahead, Leon. I think they were one quarterback away from being contenders, just like the uh, Colts and Tyler Heineke ain't the, ain't the solution for the future. Let me let me give you a quick a quick preposition here. Proposition, sorry. Um the Washington football team sits at 19th overall in this upcoming draft. Mac Jones, I, we all know I love him out of Alabama, my guy. If he falls to 19, what do you guys like of that pick? Well, no. I I think he should be in the 6th round cuz Mac Jones is absolutely <laughs> awful. He he was just surrounded by talents. I don't understand why he should he's even being talked about in the first round. 
Okay, so Leon's Leon's going to talk about how people need to go watch the Nickelodeon broadcast to learn about something, learn something about football. Leon clearly has not watched enough college football. Mac Jones is legit. However, they should not take Mac Jones wherever they sit in the draft. I think you said it was like 19th or something like that. They need to help the QB situation. Like allow it to be for the next guy that comes in there um, in in on maybe next year's draft, maybe Taylor Heineke, maybe Alex Smith sticks around for another year. Help them out. Secure an offensive line and get talent at receiver. I mean, they literally only have Terry McLaurin. That is their only receiver in Washington. Scary Terry. I mean, Scary Terry's good, but, like, definitely can't carry an offense being the only solid receiver on that team. Let's move on now to the Seahawks. They were upset uh, by the Rams in Seattle. Obviously, no 12th man there. Uh, and their GM, or GM and head coach both got extended, but their offensive coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer, got fired. What? happened to this Seattle team I, I personally think it's a good move to move on from the offensive coordinator when you have DK Metcalf Tyler Lockett Chris Carson and Russell Wilson who was MVP for multiple weeks of this season and you can't beat the the uh, Rams team that doesn't have Jerry Goff for half the game then he's playing with one thumb you have John Wolford going out with a concussion if you can't beat that team with your defense playing well if you can't beat that team then I'm not sure who you can beat so I think these Seahawks really need to figure something out on offense, whether it's getting a new running back and moving on from Chris Carson. I personally think the solution would be rebuilding the O-line. I love O-line. I love O-line play. I love teams that build their O-line. We just talked about the Colts. They need to do something similar to that. I think Damian Lewis, the right guard, maybe the only future offensive lineman. Obviously, Dwayne Brown, their left tackle, is a uh, one of the better ones in the league, but he's, what, 36, 37 years old. They need to rebuild that offensive line if they want any chance to compete for a championship. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that one. I think you got to shore up the trenches first overall, uh, first and foremost. I mean, that's the whole reason that they won their 2013 Super Bowl in the first place. They had a great offensive line that secured uh, the run game, first of all, first and foremost for Marshawn Lynch, and then you know gave Russell Wilson the time he needed to, to uh, get off the passes uh, in order to win that game and, and find success in that season. And then after that, they started paying Russell Wilson a boatload of money i mean he's one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league and they don't really have the salary gap to go after great offensive linemen they need to build offensive linemen through the draft they need to figure out how to find how to how to develop uh, good offensive linemen and that's how they'll succeed going forward is building in the trenches their trenches are horrible right now they really need to fix that that's their biggest need going forward let's move to the titans a team that is definitely uh, built from the o-line and d-line out um they lost in a ground and pound battle to the Ravens. I have a question, uh, just given what I've seen this season from them. Are Tannehill and Vrabel the answer? I'm going to start and say yes. Tannehill, Vrabel, and Derrick Henry. How are you not going to mention Derrick Henry, arguably Offensive Player of the Year? Um, they have great weapons on the outside. I think A.J. Brown is a receiver who will be top five, top ten in the future in this league. Corey Davis, impending fridge. I'm curious to see what they do with him. I could even see a franchise tag for a guy who seemed like a bust just one, two years ago. He had a fantastic year for that Titans offense. And I think getting Taylor Luan back, their stud left tackle. I really do think that that team is still going to be one of the best in the AFC for the next couple of years. I think Derrick Henry is a solution to that offense. Like I said many times, I do not think Ryan Tannehill could play in a pocket passing system like a lot of other quarterbacks but because he has Derrick Henry because he has that play action that ground and pound the Titans have made it work with Tannehill now you got a stud in AJ Brown at receiver to help him and like Brendan said that outline that's not great but it's pretty good and I think that 
Tannehill is the right fit and they could use him moving forward. All right, so what happens when a team like, I don't know, the Ravens come along and say, okay, we have a pretty talented defense and a pretty talented defensive line. We're just going to shut down Derrick Henry and force you to pass the ball. What happens when, when a team comes along and does that? You throw it over the top to A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown's going to be a top 10 receiver in the league next year. If they can keep Corey Davis, it's one of the best receiving cores in the NFL because those two guys are studs. Corey Davis was a top 10 pick in the draft. I think those receivers are strong. Johnny Smith's been a good tight end for them. And I think Tannehill's a, a great game manager. He's a, he might not be you know a Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, but he's that next tier where he can win games for his football team. If, if defenses commit to the run, then he can beat them. I just disagree. I don't think Tannehill is that good. I mean, I think he he's consistent and he's talented when he's got uh, Derrick Henry rushing for 150 yards a game and he can just hand it off to him. And then when they go play action, he's got receivers wide open because linebackers and safeties uh, sink in to try and stop the run. I mean, it's pretty easy to quarterback that way when you're throwing to a wide open A.J. Brown 40 yards down the field on a crossing route because the defensive line and, and the linebackers and safeties are all sucked up to stop Derrick Henry. When it comes down to a team that just shuts down Henry like the Ravens did in this past week, and Tannehill has to throw it around the yard to for allow to allow the Titans to win. It's not going to work, I guess. Yeah, the Ravens they, aren't just shutting down Henry just easily. They're they are using those safeties and linebackers, like you said, to help shut down Henry because you're not going to shut down Henry with just the guys up front. And maybe they can a few plays, but and also, what the Ravens have is Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, who are two of the top five, top ten corners in the league. There's no other team who has a better cornerback duo, maybe outside of the Patriots when Gilmore's healthy, right? So if there's any team that can stop a run as well as they can, I'm not sure that there is because I think the Ravens have good upfront players, big guys, Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams, their nose tackle, and then they can leave their cornerbacks with less safety help because they're such elite corners. So is this Ravens loss just a consequence of getting a bad matchup and, and not executing? The Ravens, the Ravens win, you mean? The Titans loss? Yeah, the, the, the loss to the Ravens. Yeah, right. I think it was a, a pretty bad matchup, especially because the Ravens offense has been pretty dynamic as of late. And I think the Titans defense is their weakness. So when the, the Ravens have a great, a great defense, really one of the best in the league when they're performing, and I thought they did their absolute best against Derrick Henry to shut them down. Hey, when you get into that spot in the playoffs by hitting it off the post and get it going in instead of the Colts, I thought they deserved that loss. Plus, the, it was the revenge logo, dancing on the logo. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. And yeah, I mean, the revenge uh, was clearly there. The Ravens were, I think, more motivated to go win this game. And they just, it was a poor matchup for the Titans. Let's move on now to winning teams, teams who won in wildcard weekend. Let's start with the Ravens and the Bills. Uh, what is the marquee matchup in this game? The matchup between, I don't know, two guys, two position groups that you're looking forward to the most that thinks that you think will determine the outcome of this game uh, in, in the, in the biggest way, marquee matchup. It's, it's, it's not going to be player matchups. It's going to be coaching matchups. The Ravens are going to have to look at what the Colts did. You're going to have to look at the Colts were able to dominate time of possession, keep the ball on the ground, run out the clock in the first half, stay on top. You can't give Josh Allen the ball. The two things you need to do are keep the ball and convert on every opportunity you can. And I think the Colts succeeded in keeping the ball, but, absolutely failed on converting on their opportunities. And I think if Harbaugh and the Ravens can make the good decisions, keep the ball on the ground, you know, I think the Ravens are beating the Bills. 
I'm going against Parker here. I'm going Bills over the Ravens, and here's why. The marquee matchup. Alex wants it. I'll give it to him. Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown, Isaiah McKenzie. The, the Bills receiving corps, arguably the best in the, in the league, maybe second behind the Buccaneers, right? Them against the cornerbacks of the Ravens, who I just talked about. Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, two of the top five cornerbacks in the league for all I'm worried about. I think this is definitely the, the, the padlock group of players on both teams. It's a marquee matchup. Whoever wins that battle wins the game. If the Bills can get open, get touchdowns, the Bills' offense unstoppable, the Ravens can't outdo them. If the Ravens right, defense can pull them down, Lamar can beat them. What about Leon, what's your, what's your key Bills. stat line, Leon, moving into this game? What's your, what's your stat line that determines the win? Oh, it's going to be the passing game. I believe it. Josh Allen's red hot right now. But I believe if Lamar Jackson can pass the ball, the, the Ravens has a chance to win the game. We know he can't, though. We know he can't. Let's move on. I don't. I don't even think this one's gonna be. Wait, a- wait, wait. Why does Lamar Jackson need to pass the ball? The Bills have not. The Bills have an awful run defense. They do not have a good run defense. They do not have a run, good run game on offense. No, but we know. We know Lamar Jackson can run. But like, if he can open that passing game, oh, it's an easy dub for the. Gonna have to outduel um Josh Allen in the Bills offense, led by Stefan Diggs. He He's not outdueling by running. You're not gonna be able to outrun them. Josh throw over your head. So the marquee matchup has to be the, the um, Ravens defense versus the Bills receivers. The Colts should have won that game because they were able to run the ball out, make little plays, keep the ball, keep the clock moving, keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. And how'd that work for him? How'd it work? They lost. Great if they made better coaches. This, this is why the Nickelodeon game was created for you. This is why it's created for you. Well, I love the Nickelodeon no, game. No, no. no I think it's for Brennan. Brennan. You have to understand to outduel Josh Allen, you're gonna have to be able to make throws from the pocket against a decent Bills pass rush. That's you're what I said. If, if Lamar Jackson can make the throws, I, you're gonna win the game. You can't win a game without making throws, but you guys are acting like he needs to come out and be Tom Brady to win this game. He no, 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 no. receivers from the pocket, Jackson. which he has never shown he's able to do throughout his career. I'm not sold on Lamar. I know he can run. I know he can run. He can put a running back at quarterback for all I'm worried because Lamar can't make throws. Why if he why he played like he did last week against the Titans? Why can't he win this game? Because he's playing the Buffalo Bills, not the Tennessee Titans. He doesn't have to throw the ball around the yard. Unstoppable. Obviously, they have to throw the ball, but you're saying he has to come out and be the best quarterback of all time. He doesn't. He has to keep being Lamar, keep the ball moving, keep the chains moving, keep the first downs, whether it's run or pass. Yeah, I agree with Parker. That's what, I, I literally said that in the beginning. All right, Leon's flip-flopping. We clearly disagree. What do you mean? I said it for Lamar Jackson. Next question. He just muted me because he knows he's wrong. He just muted me because he knows he's wrong. I said if Lamar Jackson can, can open the passing game, his, we know his running game is there. So, like, I believe if he can open the passing game, the Ravens are going to win. Right, and we know he can't. Alex, next question. But you don't want to because you want to keep the ball out of just right, we're, we're clearly clearly getting stuck up on this Ravens-Bills game. This is definitely something we have to talk about next week. Let's move on now. Rams versus Packers. I picked out the marquee matchup for this one. I think it's pretty obvious. Ramsey versus Adams. Who wins? And is that the matchup that determines the win? It does. I'm going Rams in this one. I'm going upset pick. Give me the L.A. Rams. I think if Jerry Goff's healthy, we saw last week he can game manage and beat a good team in the Seahawks, right? Now we see this. Jalen Ramsey, you have the best corner in the league. That's right. He's been the best corner by far. I think he's not getting defensive player of the year recognition that he deserves. He's going to shut down Devontae Adams as best as anyone has all year long. And therefore, this Packers offense is going to have to run the ball. I don't think they're going to run the ball when you have Aaron Donald sitting on the other side. And I think this Rams defense 
is going to slow down the Packers offense enough for Jerry Goff and Cam Akers, who've been looking real special. They're going to pull off a big upset win against that 6.5 line. Time for Brandon to get slimed on Nickelodeon like those other Yeah, this, this, he needs to learn football. It's going to be the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, he's a bad man. Like Stephen A. says, he is a bad man, and he's going to take the Packers over the Rams. Okay, that, okay, I, I disagree with one of the things Brennan said. There's no chance that Jalen Ramsey shuts down Devontae Adams. The Packers and Matt LaFleur and uh, Aaron Rodgers are way too good at moving Devontae around, getting matchups that they like with Adams on, on worse and, and secondary guys. I think Adams has con- – and he's continued. He's done it against great uh, defense right. all he's year done long. It. He's done it. He's listen, continued listen. to put up insane touchdown numbers, insane receiving numbers. He's going to dominate in this game. However, the Rams will still win this one. I think yeah. Adams is the only bright spot for the Packers. I think other than Adams, uh, the Rams defense shuts down and puts a ton of pressure on Aaron Rodgers, and the Rams pull out the win. Thank real you. quick, real quick, we need to move on. Before we get to this next game, because you talked about you don't think Jalen Ramsey can shut him down, here's why. Jalen Ramsey is the closest thing we have seen to Darrell Revis. He shuts down an entire side of the field. I don't think Devontae Adams has any production in this game. We'll see. Let's talk Bucks saints Let's move on. Wait, 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 wait. Before we move on, in the, Ra- in the Ravens-Bills game, you were talking about how Lamar Jackson is going to need to make those to win this game. Now you have a guy with a broken thumb who couldn't even throw a spiral last game in Jared Goff, and you think he can take down the Packers. Right, because I think the Rams' defense can shut down the Packers' offense. I don't think the Ravens' defense can shut down the Bills. We're not shutting down the Packers' offense. We need to move on. We're going too slow. Alex, bring us to Bucks saints All right, Bucks saints uh, this one, part three, Bucks Saints. What does each QB have to do to win? And there is there a realistic shot for the Buccaneers? Oh, uh, yeah. Brady needs to outduel Drew Brees. It's quite obvious to me. I know they're two Hall of Famers. I know they're two legendary top 10 quarterbacks of all time. Brady's the GOAT. I think Brady pulls this off. I know the Bucs have not looked well this season against the Saints. But I think if Ronald Jones comes back, which is definitely a key injury to watch. Ronald Jones, I believe he had like a thigh injury before the last game. If he comes back, I got the Bucks. Yeah, I'm thinking the Bucks. It's all about the Bucks defense. They got to be able to stop uh, Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. But if they can stop them, I'm thinking the Bucks, And I'm not betting against Tom Brady. Tom Brady. I think it's a close game, but I'm taking the Saints. I mean – the Saints have shown they've been able to torch the Bucks defense all season long. I don't think it's going to be any defense different. I think Tom Brady's going to keep up, but not enough Saints win. You know, sometimes I feel like Parker is the only rational NFL fan in this group right here. It's obviously going to be the Saints. There's no chance that that Bucks defense stops Michael Thomas. He's got an amazing connection with Drew Brees. Alvin Kamara is back. He runs all over that Bucks defense. Give me the Bucks in this one. Let's move on now. Chiefs-Browns, our final uh, matchup for the divisional round. The Chiefs are a negative 10 on the spread right now. Can the Browns cover? Can they win outright? And what does it take to do either of those two things? The Browns can absolutely cover, and heck, they can win, right? We saw what they can do without Kevin Stefanski at coach. Put Kevin Stefanski at coach. This Browns team is so motivated to be in the playoffs. I love to see a franchise who has just had terrible teams year in and year out for so long for them to get that big playoff win over the Steelers. We talked about the Steelers. We're not giving the Browns the credit they deserve. They look so good from the opening snap. You get that touchdown on the bad snap. They look so good throughout that whole game. And and quite honestly, I, I wanted to get this out there. That offensive line performance from the Browns was the best offensive line performance I have ever seen in a football game. They completely dominated that front of the Steelers which is the best in the league. They have T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward, Stefan Tua, Tyson Alu-Alu. 
That defense is so good. They got absolutely blown out of the water by that Browns O-line. Okay, so they can win, but will they win? You know, it's possible. We've seen this the past two years with the Chiefs. It just takes any given week. They can have a bad week. They can lose a game. Am I going to bet against the Chiefs like Brennan sounds like he's going to do? Absolutely not. I'm not crazy. Everyone thinks the Chiefs are winning. I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes. I'm going with the Chiefs. I'm just saying, don't count these Browns out. This could be a real, real good game. I'm not saying the Browns aren't a good team. Are they going to beat the Chiefs? I don't think so. Could they beat the Chiefs? Yes, anybody could beat the Chiefs. Yeah, my beloved Chiefs. I'm thinking the Chiefs. My beloved Leon, ulti- The ultimate bandwagon fan, Leon Lynn. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Give me the Cleveland Browns in an upset win to cover and win outright against the Chiefs. I think Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs shoot themselves in the foot. I think they make some big mistakes uh, that cost them. And I think the Browns dominate time of possession, say maybe two to one in time of possession with that run game and beat the Chiefs in a very close, we'll say last second field goal win. Hey, last year in the playoffs, we saw the Chiefs go down every single game from divisional to the Super Bowl. I don't think that was coincidence. I think maybe they have some playoff trouble, but I don't know how you're betting against the Chiefs. We'll we'll all be paying attention come Sunday. We've got an exciting weekend of football coming up. That's going to be it for our NFL segment. And uh, thanks for joining us. We'll we'll talk next week. See you, boys. We are moving now into our soccer segment of uh, episode 10 of the Smith Sports Talk podcast. My bad there. Uh, and we got a big matchup. Let's jump right into a big matchup upcoming this week. United versus Liverpool. United currently sit atop the Premier League table for the first time in something like three years. An incredible achievement for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They play Liverpool, the second place team this week. This will likely determine who holds the top of the Premier League for a few weeks to come, just given scheduling. That what what matchup? Let's say matchup. What matchup are you looking forward to most in this game, and and who do you think pulls off the win? Um, I think I think the matchup I'm most looking forward to has got to be, um, like a, a Fabinho, uh, like a Rashford type, like like one of Man, one of Man United's forwards and a Liverpool center back because, um, if they can shut like their forwards down and um i think uh liverpool's got the undeniably better midfield so if if they can like abuse both of those like bo- both of those strengths then man united does not have a chance but um i mean liverpool's only won two of their last five league games so if you look at it that way it seems like man united should have this in the bag but I mean, I, I just can't see Man United really coming through against the big teams. They they really never have. I mean, they like they haven't had they haven't for like years. I mean, so it, it's it's tough to say. I, I think I'm gonna go with either a tie or Liverpool. I can't see Man U winning this. Yeah, that's interesting. You bring up the midfield battle, Nick. What does it take for Manchester United to kind of crack that very strong Liverpool midfield and and get a serious attack moving? I think that, um, I mean, using all the resources we have, we have Tiago, we have Wijnaldum in the middle. Um, I think Liverpool just need, we've we've obviously seen that they've been a strong team in the past, and I don't think them not being first right now is a big concern. 
but I think that they just need to come through and just win the game just to claim their spot back. I mean, we, we see Manchester United as a very strong team, but sometimes they do, like Thaddeus said, they do crack under pressure and under these bigger teams. So obviously, Austin, you're a Man United fan, so you watch United very closely. What are the odds that they can they can pull off an upset in a way, just given their performance against big teams recently? Like, what, what does it take for them to to win this game? I, th- I think it just takes the the passion and the energy that we've shown so many times this season. You know, I mean, the Leeds game I think was our first really big test of the year because a big rivalry. You know, and it hadn't been played for, for upwards of 16 years at that point. And we won 6-2, right? It was, there was a lot of pressure on the United guys to, to play well, and they did. And, and they show that when, they, when they're in the right mindset, when they know, it's almost like when they know what's at stake, they don't play well. But when they just go out there and play their natural game, they're, they're one of the best teams in the world. And I think that's kind of what, Solskjaer needs to push is don't don't think of this as a title clinching game because it isn't we still got a long way to go you need to just go out there and play your natural game play the way that you know and do it well um I guess as far as like matchups go like Mane down the left wing and Juan Basaka will be interesting because I mean Juan Basaka just he he has that you know he acts like a brick wall he just kind of you know he puts in the tackles and he, he does them well and Mane is just so quick and so skilled that I think that'll definitely be a really interesting matchup to, you know, hopefully where Juan Basaka can stop those crosses coming in, stop those inverted runs. And yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a great game. I agree. There's, I mean, there's so much to watch. I mean, you bring up the, the matchup with Mane and Juan Basaka. Thad brings up the, the midfield struggles uh, and, and that battle in the middle of the pitch. There's just so much to look at with this game. Definitely be something I'm looking forward to watching. Let's move on now to our reactions to the Manchester Derby. Austin, very staunchly pro Bruno Fernandez last episode, and he just didn't show up. Me and Thad got it right. De Bruyne came up big, was the 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 really the gear for that team, made them click, allowed them to to have success in that game. Uh, and and yeah, I just wanted to touch on this one. Uh, what what went wrong, uh, Austin? What happened to Bruno Fernandez? Um. I mean, just going through the game, there was there wasn't that passion and energy that I was just talking about. It it wasn't there, and I I don't know why. Um, I mean, United have had a a pretty demanding fixture list. I'm not going to complain about it like Jurgen Klopp does, but I mean, it, it was it's been pretty demanding. And I think you know when you play a game every two and a half days, it 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 does run your energy down. But yeah, I, I don't think United played poorly. You know because both the goals for Man City were scored by defenders. So I think, I think there were just chances that, that really United, United missed too many of them. And, and we didn't defend set pieces well enough. We didn't defend off of free kicks. We didn't defend um, as well as we needed to. And you know, I mean, it is what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a disappointing result, obviously, but, you know. See, I mean... Like going off of that, I just, I don't, I, I, I can't. Like Austin said, it wasn't that like a Man City domination. I just can't agree with that. It, it like, it, when you're watching the game, it just didn't seem like Man U was anywhere near as good of a team. Like 
I mean, the Man City's goalie had one really nice save. And other than that, there was no opportunities. Like, Man U's defense looked shaky at best. Their attack was weak. They, they, like, they didn't hold possession the way Man City did. They didn't create chances. The ball was in there, like, third for 60% of the game. Like, that's it, – it, it just wasn't their game. Yeah, I have to agree with that here. I, I think the notion that it was not it – was, it was a more even-played game and, and Manchester United really had a chance in this one is just wrong. I think Manchester City was was clearly the better team, and I think you're right about – with Austin, I think you're right about that lack of energy. And like, Man United just kind of looked tired and, and, and just not energized and ready to go for this big-time game, and it costs them in the form of a, a City 2-0 victory. Let's move on now. Musa Dembele – uh, the striker from Lyon, I think he led or was at least tied um, with Kylian Mbappe for the most goals last year in League One, has officially made his transfer to Atletico Madrid. Was this a good signing, guys? Was, uh, is this a smart move by Simeone to bring in Dembele? Nick, what do you think? I mean, I, th- I, think, I think he's a good player. I mean, he's tall, strong. I think He's fairly young. Uh, oh, I wouldn't say young. I just say he's not. He's not too old, but he's not too young. I think he. Obviously, every player has more growing to do, but I think if they're able to use him well, he could be a very, very good threat. And hopefully, he will. This is his prime right now. And I, I think you bring up a great point with that. Uh, but, you know, just given the state of the of the way that uh, Atletico play, obviously they only have the two strikers on the pitch at a time. Um, they now grab Dembele. They already have Joao Felix and they have Luis Suarez as well. Obviously, Suarez is going to look to get his minutes in. And, and Joao Felix, you want to really spark his development by giving him time to play. So where does Dembele fit in this team? I mean, at least the way I see this transfer is more of like a long-term solution for and you bring up his age, a long-term solution for Suarez because Suarez is like 33. But in the now, like, how do you play this as Simeone? I mean, like, I think that, I mean, so Atletico plays like a 4-4-2, a four, yeah, like a 4-4-2 or a 4 triple 2 where they have the two strikers and the two outside, like, players who often attack and are very, very dangerous down those wings. So um, I think what they could do is move Jao Felix down to one of the wings and play Musa Dembele and Suarez up top because he's like he's a great player. I mean, I think they got him on loan with an option to buy, and I'm surprised that other teams aren't as sought. Like he's not as sought after as he should be because he's a 24-year-old striker who's been playing extremely well and is just he's just a beast so i think it's a great signing yeah austin how do you see that playing out it looks to me like i mean like what you said it lo- it looks almost like a long more long term solution because i mean obviously you know losing um, diego costa to you know a, a mutual contract termination um, i mean luis suarez is what 32 uh, you're going to need you know a good 
I don't want to say world class, but I guess a, a very top quality striker in the in the coming year or so. Um, and I think I think Musa Dembele really fits that you know fits that mold. He's a, he's a great player. And but but I mean you bring up a good point of where is he going to fit currently, and I think that's going to be an, an issue for him, and I think it's going to be an issue for um, Simeone to figure out. I think it it may turn into more of a Van de Beek kind of transfer thing where it's yeah he doesn't get his minutes now, but in the next year two years he's going to play a lot and he'll become one of those those star players so how long does suarez stay at the club given this new dembele signing he's he's 33 years old probably still wants to compete or he wants to go home back to uruguay like or, or south america in general so what where, where do you see suarez's future going forward awesome uh, awesome what do you think uh, I think weirdly, it, it might even depend on what Messi does because they've they've talked a lot, I guess, quite a bit about linking back up at some point. And you know, if Messi chooses to only have one or two more years left playing, you know, in Europe, and then he decides to move to the MLS, I think that Luis Suarez may may attempt to do that as well, so that they can you know link back up and play play with each other again. Um, but I, I think it can depend on that. I think it can just depend on on what he feels. If he feels that he's maybe getting too old, where he can't compete in that that, you know, that top brass of European elites, then, then he has to, he has to make that decision whether to go to the MLS, which is becoming a better league. It's still a big step down, but it's becoming better or go to Uruguay or, or even, you know, go back to the Netherlands. If Ajax wants to sign an old player and, you know, do something there go back to where, where he really started as a, as a solid professional. I mean, I don't know. It, it's there, there's a lot of different options that he has open being the quality player that he is. Yeah, I mean, what a scary side that would be. And, and uh, the MLS, Lionel Messi and, and Luis Suarez, a great tandem teaming up. They'd set that league on fire. Let's move on now to Real Madrid. Uh, reports are coming out that they're hoping to garner $100 million in sales so they can afford a bid for Mbappe over this next summer. Obviously, Mbappe's contract is running out. PSG are looking to re-sign both him and Neymar. Uh, is this a good move by Madrid, just given the current state of the global pandemic, how Mbappe has been playing recently, prospects of other guys like Erling Holland? Um, like, is, is this a smart move to, to go and pay, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars? They probably have to set the transfer record when Holland has a release clause of far less than that. Ted, what are your thoughts on that? Um, honestly, I don't, I don't love it because, um, it's like Holland's a better player in my, in my opinion. Like, um, I, it's just, it doesn't, it, like, it doesn't make sense for me because like Holland's a better player. And yeah, as Alex said, it's going to be, I can't see it being less than $250 million. So the only thing that's going to like that's going to help is it's going to bring in a ton of shirt sales. So like I mean he might be a great player but I could also seeing him not like he hasn't really shown up as much recently as people would hope. So like I I, just, I can't see I can't see it being like one of those like Mbappe coming a Messi or Ronaldo like level player but I can't I also I don't think Mbappe will flop in the way that Luka Jovic has. So, I, like, I, I get why they're doing it, but I don't think it's their, the best move for them. 
Is that also something that would factor into Madrid's decision, do you think? I mean, Mbappe has a, a global brand. He's signed with Nike. Um, he has influence across the world. He's building a, a relationship uh, in America, obviously through LeBron James and the collaboration they're doing right now. And, and shirt sales would definitely be something, you know, Mbappe attracts definitely more attention and, and um, flair and would sell more shirts, you think, you, you typically think than Holland. So is that something that would factor into their decision uh, is, is uh, money? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think so, but I just, I, I just looked it up and it says that, um, Holland's release clause cannot kick in until 2022. Um, so I think Real Madrid wants to win now and they're not. So I think they're, they don't want to wait two more years to get who might be one of the best players in the world. And, um, and Holland also has not shown interest in leaving while Mbappe has really shown interest in following the money, which I don't necessarily respect, but I get it, I guess. So how does that affect PSG? Um, Mbappe leaves, let's say they, they re-sign Neymar. How does that affect PSG? I mean, like they can revamp their whole team with like, let's just say 250 million. <laughs> like I say they like they already have a Cardi who's got a few more years left on him. I I say they try to revamp some of their defense by a new midfielder. Um, I don't. I Kaylor Navas is getting up there, so buy a good backup goalie. Like it just I, like I can't see this being a bad decision for them. Yeah, I, I hope you're right as a PSG fan. I really hope you're right on that one. Just one more thing before we go. I just want to touch on it really quickly. Uh, stick with PSG here. Paul Pogba has been rumored to be the top transfer target for Maurizio Pochettino and his new staff at Paris Saint-Germain. Austin, how would he fit in there and this be a good move? Just real quick. I mean, I think he'd fit in pretty well into that, you know, the aging midfield. But I don't think that it would be the best move for him. I mean, obviously, you know, he's a Paris native and, and you know, he's, he's a French icon now, but I, I just don't. I don't see it being a smart choice to do. I think that if he's going to go anywhere, which I mean, if he wants to do, I hope he does. I hope he, you know, plays somewhere where he's happy rather than somewhere where he's just miserable picking up a paycheck. But I, I would definitely see something, either one of the bigger teams in Spain or Real Madrid or, or something, or, or going back to Juventus. I think I, I just, I don't think that PSG I, I just don't think that PSG has what he's looking for. That that history, that power, that global reach. Even though they are a very good team um, and they have a lot of money, which is obviously something that him and his agent have both shown that they they care deeply about. But I just I I'd see him going back to a former club like Juventus. See, I gotta disagree with that because I think that um, PSG right now, if they have that like powerful, powerful midfielder, like they already have Verratti and Adrisagana Gay, who are both small, great defenders, pretty good on the ball. But Pogba's just like a beast. He's like 6'4, strong. He can pass, he can shoot, he can dribble. He's pretty fast. He's, uh, he's not, he's, he's okay. Um, so like, I think. I, and he, as you said, he's a Paris native. So 
I think he would enjoy it. He seems like he he's friends with Mbappe. Um, and I'm pretty sure he's also friends with Kimpempe. So I could also I, I think this would be a great move for him. I don't want to see him go to Real Madrid because I just don't think that's gonna work out. And I don't think Real really want him anymore if they're if they want a bid for Mbappe. So yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. I think Papa would be a good fit. I think, uh, as far as financials would go, that'd be a, a great move for PSG. The Paris native would definitely attract a lot of shirt sales from inside the French borders. It'd be another strong presence in the midfield. All valid points. I hope they'd do it as a PSG fan. I think he'd be a great addition, and I think Pogba would be okay uh, in PSG in Paris as well. Uh, that'll be enough for our soccer segment today. Thank you guys for joining us. This podcast was edited and produced by Gabe Aguero.